when I look at what's going on in churches across America, and when I look what's going on in churches in the SBC, and I hate to bring up stuff like this right off, but I got to. For some reason, we have the idea in our mind that we can tell God what church is supposed to be. It's not a new thing. But for some reason, man has decided that we can define what church is and we can define how church should be. I think church is what we're just having right now, don't you? This is church. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I just love it when you guys sing, when you worship. And uh, yeah, we're in a Baptist church, I mean Baptist church here. And we've got a little bit of excitement. But you know why? Because we haven't gotten over our salvation yet. And we haven't gotten over what God's done for us yet. And I can't live a day without you. What a wonderful message this morning. But let me say this very quickly. I'm concerned. I don't want Hillcrest to become, I don't think we can. We're not any better than anybody else. I don't want us to think that we can tell God what church is supposed to be. I mean, there are churches all over the globe. They, they put their, their they, they try to get the heartbeat of lost people and become what lost people are seeking. Let me tell you what they're seeking. They're seeking the true Jesus Christ. Every lost person on the globe needs them to come to face to face with Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the more we present him, the clearer we present him, the clearer their search will become and the ending and the answer to their search. I'm looking today at this passage because Jesus, we just left Jesus at Cana where he uh, performed the miracle at the marriage. You remember that from last week. And today what we're going to, he's going to Jerusalem. Now, it's amazing to me that once Jesus starts his earthly ministry, and this is the launch, the Cana Galilee was his first miracle, well, the first place he heads is to the church to the temple. But you know, I don't think what happened, what he found there in the temple found was any surprise to him. In other words, I don't think there's anything going on in the temple at the time when he goes that caught him off guard. May I say to you today that Jesus knows what's going on in our churches today. Look in verse 14. Verse 14, uh, of I've already told you what's happened in verse 12. It says, uh, well, let's go back to verse 12. After this went down to Capernaum, he and his mother's brethren, his disciples, and they continued there many days, not many days. And, uh, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money city. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would help us to see our role in what worship should be and our need as the temple of God to be clean and to be usable and presentable to a holy God. Father, I pray that you would do that work in us that only you can do. For it's your name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want you to see here this morning is that Jesus knows what is happening in his temple, in his church. Jesus knows exactly what is happening. Now, what happened was he went there. Now, get the picture. He went to the temple and he found something. Now, let me just give you some facts about the temple. First of all, when he went to church, 
There's two words for temple and about the layout and the complex of the temple. It covers an area of 30 acres, which is huge, okay? 30 acres, and the temple building is a small, ornate building in the center, which has a holy place in the Holy of Holies. I won't take a lot of time there because this is not where that occurred. But around that building, around that ornate building, that small building, are four courts. One is a court of priests, and only the priests with worship furniture are found there. I won't list all those furnitures because you know that's where the sacrifices are made. And certainly the shoe bread there and all that, I won't take the time to go there. The second court and the, and the concentric uh, uh, is a court of the Israelites. Only Jews are allowed there. Does that offend you yet? Only Jews were allowed there. And then the, the next court was a court of women. Well, now, if you weren't offended by that, you're probably offended now. Because if you're, the court of women were held back, it's almost as if you understand the degrees of importance in their worship. Well, what occurred and what Jesus saw is found in the fourth concentric court, and that is called the court of Gentiles. Now, in the court of Gentiles, the furthest court away from the most holy of holies, we find it's the farthest removed from the center where God's presence was. We Gentiles, you know, we look at ourselves and we think, oh boy, now we may have some Jews with us here today. I don't know. I can't assume we don't. But let me say this. When you think about the presence of God, let me ask you this. Did you sense the presence of God today? You know, God wants, wants to have a relationship with us. I'm so glad that Jesus went to the temple, and yes, he, he was a God of the Holy of Holies. He's the God of the most holy place. He's the God of the court of the priests. He's the God of the court of the women. He's the God of the court uh, of, of, uh, of the Jews, but he's also the God of the court of the Gentiles. And I want you to know, when he went to that temple, he saw these high walls allowing no Gentile any closer to God with threats of death. Actually, they hung banners that said, if you're a Gentile and you go beyond this point, you can be killed. Now you understand Jesus knew what was going on. I think he went there to set things in order. His ministry, the first thing he had to do <laughs> was come to the house of God and set things in order. Let me tell you something. I, someone said about, I've heard uh, some politician talking about the great reset. You know, I think, have you ever hit a reset button? Have you ever accidentally hit a reset button? <laughs> yeah. Everything, I'm telling you, that's a scary thing. That reset button, well, I tell you what Jesus was doing, basically, I believe he said, I'm about ready to set, hit the reset button. Because when he went there, he found the temple being desecrated. In verse 14, you find there was a commercial market going on in the court of the Gentiles. Well, after all, to the Jews, what's a Gentile? I mean, we'll actually kill you if you go beyond this court. I mean, a Gentile was not someone that they cared about. So in that court is where they found uh, this commercial market. There were worshipers needing animals. Now, can you imagine? I gave you the list of animals. You reread those in verse 14. Oxen. There's a scripture that says, with oxen, where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. Do you understand the mess that cattle make? Do you understand what that is? And all of that is right there in God's house. He said, there's oxen, there's sheep. And sheep make messes too, and doves. 
My wife doesn't like my bird feeders because of the mess the birds make on the deck. I'm telling you, birds and doves. And notice all of those were there. But also understand that when you go to this, when you go to the to the temple to offer sacrifice and you don't bring your own sacrifice with you, guess what? You have to pay a little bit more for the convenience of the animal being there for you. If you go to a convenience store nowadays, if you stop and get gas, you go in that convenience store and you try to keep your kids from going because they'll break you. I mean, they find everything. They want to have this, they want to have that, and it's not as cheap as it is at Walmart. It's not as cheap as it is someplace else, but you go, it's because of convenience. What we call, and what about whenever there's storms or, or some kind of disaster and they'll bore generators? And they call that price gouging. Price gouging was going on in this situation. There were people there to make money, money, money. By the way, if you've traveled from another country to come to Jerusalem, and a lot of people did, they had their own currency, but they had to change it to shekels. They had to change it to Jewish currency in order to even trade. So they, you come in, you bring your Roman money, whatever money you have, whatever type of coinage you have, what currency you have, you first of all have to get it changed. And you know as well as I do, you don't get equal value. I went to Israel. I've been to Israel. And I, I changed a certain portion of money. But at some point towards the end, I started running a little low. And I began dealing directly with some of the merchants with my American U.S. dollar. I did not do well. The exchange rate was not good. Do you understand? So they were gouging not only on the prices of the goods, they were gouging on the exchange of money, and all it was about was money. Thousand attended. Can you believe this? Can you just imagine the amount of money? No, think of the noise, the waste, the mess, the congestion, and no hope of worship in that setting. There's no way they could have worship. It's funny, I joke with Chris coming up here. I said, well, they provided a table here for me. Uh, Rachel said, leave it alone. And so what happened? Jesus, notice I want Luke 19, 46, saying to them, it's written, my house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Ecclesiastes 5.1 saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you have made it. Psalm 89.7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be, to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Let me tell you something. God intends for you and I to show reverence to him in the house. Boy, I wish we could get that back, don't you? I mean, seriously. Why are we here? We're here for spiritual business. We're here for God to speak. Whenever people come to the temple, it's not to make, to, to make money. It's not to exchange and, and trade and, and gouge people. What it's for is for us to worship together like we did today. The Spirit, like we are right now, we're the Spirit of God resting upon this place and us moving because of the Spirit of God's moving. Let me tell you something, that's worship. And in this setting, it could not happen. Verse 14 tells us that it could not happen. Then you will notice Jesus' right to cleanse the temple. Look in verse 15. What happened? Verse 15 says this, and when he had made a scourge of small cords. Now, do I need to explain what a scourge is? A scourge is where you take several pieces of rope and you, and you tie them together, kind of like a whip, 
But it's not necessarily something that you would inflict a lot of pain with, but it would definitely get everybody's attention. You know, sometimes it's not so much the, the, um, the pain, but it's the threat that puts the fear of God in people, you know? Uh, my dad was the, the fastest belt in the West. When he got mad, he'd get ready, he'd... And buddy, you'd hear that thing, and he... I don't know, how, how many ever got raised with a belt? How many of you believe others need to? Well, I'm telling you, there's certain sounds that just scared me to death. My mom didn't like, didn't like using the belt. She called it a hickory switch. And she, it had its sound too. Now I'm telling you, and then my grandmother had a fly swatter. Oh, not the plastic fly swatter. No, 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 no. It had the handle with the, you know, little plastic, the little plastic on the end. It got, I mean, no, I'm kidding. That would be almost abuse. I'm just telling you. I would, I'm just telling you, we grew up, and there were sounds that, that scared us. It, but that scourge of cords was a symbol of righteous anger. He had a right to be obeyed. He had a right to force obedience within the temple. And he had the power and cleansing judgment of God. Let me tell you something. God has a right to come into the church and do business against sin. God has a right to come in here, it doesn't matter who you are, and him to say, there's sin in your life and you need to deal with it. Let me say this also. You know, the temple of the living God right now is here. What that means, oh, we have a, I believe in respecting the building, but you know, this is where the church of Hillcrest meets the church, this is our family of God right here. This is the church. The building is a building that we respect, of course. But let me tell you something. It's all about who we are and who Jesus is trying to do. He has the power. He has the right. And he has a, the privilege of coming into our lives and pointing out sin and with that scourge, driving it out of our lives. And that scourge represents a righteous anger. Philippians 2, 9 through 10 said, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we sang about earlier. You understand there's coming a day when every person alive will declare that Jesus is Lord. By the way, he's either Lord now or he's Lord later, but he's still Lord to you personally. In other words, you may not recognize him as Lord in your life right now, but let me tell you, there's coming a day when you will recognize him and you will proclaim him to be Lord. You will make that statement. You will bow your knee. He ran through all, he ran through and did all three things. First of all, he did in verse 15, he chased out all who were buying and selling. Look at verse 15. And when he made a scourge, he drove them all out of the temple. Now who's them? That's the people. Some people say, well, he drove the animals out. Look, I keep reading. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers' table and overthrew the tables. Notice what happened. He drove even the people out. He drove everybody out. Let me tell you something. If you don't belong in the family of God, you need to first get right with him so you can be right with him, with us. You understand? The work of God is bigger than what you want to do. There are a lot of people that want to take church and make it to their advantage. They want to make business contacts or they want to 
uh, use it because of what it brings to their lives as far as friendships and that kind of thing. And that's important. Friendships are important. But let me tell you something. What God wants to happen in our lives and in the church is he wants to come through and he wants to have complete reign over what's going on. He crossed, he chased out all who were buying and selling. He overturned money changers' tables. Now, that you can imagine, the chaos, the scene at that moment. When on the table, in order, you know, how many of you, um, you synchronize your bills? If you don't do it, you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you want all your bills facing the same direction in your wallet? How many of you like them in denominations? All same denominations. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But let me tell you something. Those money changers, they had it all organized. Those of you who are bean counters and like order, this scene would tear your nerves up. Jesus walks in all, now I'm not going to do it, Rachel. I'm not. But boy, what a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, so you get their scourge out, won't you, girl? Could you imagine having all, those, all that money, different types of coins, different types of currency, all ordered by, you know, all laying right there, and he just comes along with his scourge and turns it over. When was the last time Jesus came into your life and just turned it upside down? When was the last time Jesus came into your life, saw something that wasn't right, and he said, okay, I'm going to fix that, and he just totally up, 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 just totally turned it over. Let me tell you something. I'll never forget the day he did that to me. Well, I got saved when I was in second grade. You know, I was deep in sin. You say, David, did you really get saved? I got saved. I'm, I'm, I remember. You know, just like uh, uh, Brandon prayed, you know. It's, it's, it's simple enough that a child can understand it. It's deep enough for the deepest theologian can't get enough of it, right? And so I remember as a child knowing I was lost. I gripped the, I gripped the pew in church, went home, told my dad, and he led me to Jesus. And I, I remember that day. But let me tell you something else. Then God came along. I had plans. I've shared this before. And God just totally changed my plans. Let me tell you something. What he did was he took the money tables in my life and he turned them over. Everything that I had ordered on that table, he just completely said, it's not important anymore. I've got a better plan for you. And I'm going to turn your money tables over just a little bit. I'm going to make, make, make a mess out of what you had all neat and pretty, and it's going to be totally different. And I'm, going, I'm, in, I'm the Lord of that moment. Let me tell you something. If you've not experienced that, I have experienced that. And I tell you, I'll never get over that. And then he removed the pigeon salesman. Now, I, I, can't, I couldn't help but think that's funny. Because how many of you have ever been around pigeons? Uh, if you've ever had a pigeon that may build a nest somewhere you didn't want them to build a nest, it's almost like they're as determined to build that nest where you don't want them to build it as you don't want them to build it there. As a matter of fact, what they'll do is they, they must be buying the house or that location because they sure are putting a lot of deposits on it. <laughs> Those pigeons are a mess. Now, I'm going to tell you, I can't help but think that's kind of funny to me that Jesus noticed that even the pigeons were involved in this process. And he ran through and he did those three things. But I want you to look in verses 16, 17. You'll see that Jesus' unique relationship to God. Verse 16, he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. Get them out of here. 
Make not my father's house. I tell you what, I, I like that. That he calls a church my father's house. That gives a different meaning to me, to a church. For you see, now I'll tell you what, I get happy on this. Jesus is the heir as the firstborn and the onlyborn of God the Father. But we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How many of you claim to be saved today? Raise your hand. How about an Amen. If you're saved today, that means you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means you are a brother or sister to Jesus, which means we are family. Now, some of you look at me and say, "Mm -mm, not me. I'm not related to you. Yes, you are. We are blood kin bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, take these things hence, make not my father's house. Yes, we're a church, but let me tell you what else we are. We're a family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm telling you why, you're brother and sister. That's why we call each other brother and sister. We're family. As a matter of fact, I have a little list that I keep up with folks that join our church, and I label it new HBC family members. Now, let me tell you something, not just HBC, but the family of God. You understand, when you get saved, you're a fa- we're a family. When you know what? Sometimes we act more like a fighting family than we are a loving family. But we're family. Here's the way it is. You know how that is. We might, when I, in my family, there are five kids, three, three boys and two demons. <laughs> my sisters. I love my sisters. But boy, I'm telling you, they would just infuriate, my little sister especially, would infuriate me sometimes. She knew which buttons to push, and if I didn't have a button, she'd make one. I mean, she was just, oh, 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 but I love her now. And I might get frustrated with her, and I may be tough on her. I never could hit her. My dad made us never hit our girl, the girls in the family. We were not allowed to. Matter of fact, we were, it was bad if we did. I, I only did it once or twice, just to check. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But don't you mess with her. I got in, well, I won't talk about that. Don't you mess with my family members. Let me say this. We may disagree a little bit here. We may have some little spats and disagreements, but I got your back. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to let somebody mess with you. You're part of the family. I mean that. I mean that. I had someone call one time. Talking ugly about, I get called like this. Did I do that? No, good. Okay, Uh, because I haven't even turned over the table. I mean, anyway, uh, guy called me and listed two good men in our church that he had a problem with. I mean, he was just going on and on on the phone. I let him talk. I let him talk. I said, sir, I know those two men, and I don't believe what you're telling me. And unless I hear them admit to what you're saying, I will not believe you. Because I know those men. 
and I had to back. And you know what that guy called me back? He said, I, he called me back again. He said, I thought you were going to back me up. I, 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 I said, no, I'm backing them up because I know them better than I know you. I only met this guy a few times, but I knew these men, men in our church. Now, let me tell you something. I think Jesus is saying by, by this matter of my father's house, he's putting a relationship there that gives him a unique relationship to God. He's first of all saying, he's my father, and this is his house, and I have the authority. Look at verse 17. He said, and, uh, take, take these from my whole house of merchandise. Verse 17, the disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has, hidden, has, has eaten me up. Notice, here's the thought. Question, how do we desecrate the house of God? How do we do that? How do we desecrate the house of God? I don't mean just this building. I'm talking about the temple in which the Holy Spirit indwells us. How do we desecrate that temple? Number two, how, does all that we do lead to worship? What Jesus was concerned about that day was there's such a mess, such a chaos, that there really could not be meaningful worship for anyone in that court. There's no way they could have church. And sometimes I'm telling you, I come into, I've, I, I observe, I've been in services, I'm thinking, how in the world can we worship in this setting? And I'm not taking, you know, knocking anybody, I'm just simply saying, their church is church, and something else is something else, whatever it may be. Uh, it's important, is a church the Father's house? Are we a family? Are we brothers and sisters? If we are, then we need to act like it. And understand that relationship. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Luke 24, 52, 53, after the ascension. And they worship him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired, the Lord, that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 84, 10, for, the, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 121, says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When this family congregates together, when this family comes in to this church, are you ready? Are you looking forward to it? Are you worshipful? Are you ready to let God speak to you? That's part of the, the reason God has a right to do that. Thirdly, Jesus' power to resurrect a new temple. Verses 18 through 21. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou to us, seeing thou doest these, these things? How many times is Jesus going to be questioned? I'm so tired of things going on where Jesus' teaching is questioned. And his authority is questioned. Did you know that God has a right to your life? He has the authority of life and death, and he has the right to your life. He has a right to ask you to go into full-time ministry. He has that right. He has the authority to do that. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, I'm going to share this. I, I'm going to jump in here. I hope I'm not in the flesh when I do this. Uh, SBC is in New Orleans. Our staff is going. I'm staying here. Probably a good thing. Rick Warner's church, I'm just going ahead and name it out, has been dismissed because of a doctrinal error. He has now put out a four-part video series educating us 
about how we should believe about that issue. Let me tell you something. His purpose-driven life, he's, he's selected a different purpose to drive him. And it's not scriptural. And let me say this to you quickly. Hillcrest Baptist, we need to be on alert. And we need to be aware that God's word is true. And if we depart from that, Ichabod should be, will be over our door. And they say this, I'm not trying, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not. Because, it, you know, Rick doesn't tell me what to believe. This word tells me what to believe. And let me say this, I'm going to believe it. And why do we question God's authority on that matter? He's spoken. It's in the word of God. And how you skirt around that issue, I have no idea. And we're talking about the issue of women preachers. Now, I know some of you say, David, why are you getting so fired up about it? It's not that I have anything against ladies who serve and teach other ladies. Have none whatsoever. But God's word is clear. How can a female pastor be the husband of one wife? Unless, of course, you're in one of those other churches. <laughs> His authority was questioned. I tell you in verse 19, he said, Jesus answered, to destroy this temple and I will, in three days I will raise it up. It just went over their head. They, they, it just, he was talking about a future temple. Now notice what he says. I'm going to give you a little English lesson here because I just think it's important. Notice it said, said unto them, destroy this temple. Now what is the subject of that sentence? You. It's the understood you. I, may, I took you all the way back to Grammar 101, okay? He's telling the Jewish people, leaders, who are questioning his authority, he said, you're going to destroy this temple, but I will raise it up in three days. I'll tell you what, Jesus resurrected himself by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you what, it's time we understand that Jesus had a message for these people and it's the same message for us. I'm so glad that he said, those, you destroy this, temp, this the temple and that's who you're doing it. That's who's doing it. Matthew 16, 18 said, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against so let me tell you something. The church of the living God is doing just fine, even in today's climate. We just need to really live like the king. We need to live like we're supposed to. Notice the spiritual confusion, verse 20. They said, 46 years was this temple and building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? And notice they were totally confused. Notice what happened in verse 21. But he spake of the temple of his body. He spoke of his death and resurrection as proof of his authority. Look in Acts 4, 33, says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Acts 10, 39-41, and we are witnesses. Notice it's, one, it's wonderful to be a witness of what Jesus is saying right here. In three days I'm going to raise it up, and we are witnesses of the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and whom, he, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, uh, before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose 
from the dead. Boy, that's a wonderful verse right there, isn't it? Romans 1, 4 says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He was talking about his death and resurrection as proof of his authority to do the work. Let me say this, his authority to, to come into our lives and change our lives is because of his death and resurrection. He died for you, he owns you, he deserves you. Number two, his body, and secondly, his body and temple were new means of worship. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, but there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Jesus has all authority. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority to have your life. Number four, Jesus' purpose was accomplished. Look in verse 22. When therefore he was risen from the dead. Now, now it's jumping forward from this moment. When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Don't you love it when you remember something Jesus says that encourages your heart? You know, I love it when Scripture speaks to every issue of life and it doesn't matter what I face, he's already spoken about it. There's no need for me to second guess it. Psalm 16.10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Acts 2.31 says, He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Acts 13.35, Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Isaiah 53.12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with, uh, with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Are you ready this morning for you to accept the fact that Jesus has every right to your life to clean it out, to cause chaos, to turn over your tables because he died for you. He died not for the good of you, but he died for the sin of you, for the bad of you. Jesus died even though he knew you don't deserve it. He still died for you. Boy, I say amen. Lord Jesus, you do deserve my worship. He deserves all of our worship. I want to conclude this morning by looking at verses 23 through 25 because it kind of concludes for us this, this situation. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Why? Because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Now, I, I notice the word believe there. Once again, it's, it's the word for, for signs. In other words, Jesus was performing some miracles to wow the crowd. He was performing some miracles to strengthen the crowd, but some miracles he performed to inform and to give sign of things to come. And Jesus, in this case, they believed in Jesus, verse 23, because of the signs. But fact two, Jesus did not entrust nor commit himself to men. Notice why, because he knew all men. Do you think Jesus knows men any less today? Did you know that right now God's looking down and he knows you right where you're sitting? 
He knows everything about you. But it's not that he, you know, it's one thing for me to know, say I know someone and I've met them. I know their name. I've been in their presence. We've shaken hands. I know that person. But I want you to notice, Jesus goes further in that verse and he says, verse 25, for he knew what was in man. Now, not only does God know you, not only does he know your name, not only does he know your address, not only does he know your occupation and the general information that we say we know when we know someone, but God knows what's in you. Now, let me tell you something. There's no one on this, on this earth that knows what's in you. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, according to Jeremiah, that heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know yourself. You don't know how capable you are to do wrong. There are people that believe, oh, I can control myself. Let me tell you something. You don't know what's in you, but God knows what's in you. And the thing is, you can't fool him. Oh, you may fool me. You may fool others, but you can't fool God. Jesus knows not only who you are, but he knows what is in you. Notice, he doesn't commit to them because of that same knowledge. Acts 5.32 says, and we are as witnesses of these things, and so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit's living inside us if you know Jesus? Romans 8, 5, and 6, for, for they that are of the flesh, after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. That's what we're talking about. God knows what's in you. He knows right now where you're living. He knows exactly what's going on in your life and in mine. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me tell you, God wants to come into your life, remove all the clutter in your life that's inhibiting you truly worshiping him. And he wants to totally change your life from the bottom up. He wants to turn it upside down so that you can have a new life in him and understand and have that life and peace. Romans 8, 13 says, for if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. Did you get that? If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. How many of you want to live today? The Bible says all you do is you live in the Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit move into your heart and totally change you from the inside out. I mean clean house. I mean he comes in, he has every right and authority to do so. He knows what he needs to do. He sees the money changers. He sees the, the, the mess in your life and mine, and he wants to come in and change it from what it was to what it needs to be. How many of us are willing to allow him to do that? Let's all bow our heads, please. Let's all bow our heads.